0: This is the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. It sure is, and we were absolutely thrilled to have you along with us today. Uh, Bring it on. Let's go. Disability Law Show set to go. John Scholes here and partner Tamar Agopian, courtesy of Sam Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, is doing all the heavy lifting on a Saturday afternoon like she always does. Very capable hands. You are in as we uh, get started here at three minutes after one o'clock, reaching out to Tamar anytime beyond the hour of the show. If you've got questions or concerns dealing with a disability insurer, maybe you're on on the verge of being cut off or you have been cut off and you said, hey, you can appeal to us. Well, we'll have a good look at that. Just appeal five or six times. No problem. That's not a good road to go down. There is options. And if you don't know about them, you will be enlightened very quickly by tomorrow. How do you do that? 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. That email address, by the way, we're going to in just a few minutes. That's what we uh, feed off of on the show every Saturday. So you want to send an email along, that's the address to use, help at disabilityrights.ca. <laughs> If yours doesn't appear on the show today, it may in the future. And you can always go to MyDisabilityQuestions.com. That's a free and anonymous question asking website as well. But tomorrow, we're going to get to Dwayne here very shortly on the show. Um, I implore people to uh, to call in. By the way, if they have questions live on air, they can do that now. Phone lines are wide open. 416 872 10 10 or text if you prefer that version seven ten ten 10 to reach us over the next hour and uh and join the conversation but week that was pal what do you got going on a couple things wow
1: yeah so fighting the insurance companies the big bad insurance companies ADA, <laughs> day in and yeah. day out. <laughs> so this week i've been obviously looking at the news watching the news seeing all the devastation that's happening with hurricanes and floods yeah. and and what have you it's just it's just unbelievable scenes all along different parts of north america including parts of canada and It was reminiscent of the type of work that I started out doing, John, when I started in insurance. And the kind of work I used to do was contentious property loss claims. That's actually when I was a baby lawyer was where I started out. Uh, And I thought I would just put the bug in the ears of our listeners that if you're thinking, wait a minute, what kind of insurance do I have? Other than probably some kind of group disability plan that you've got with your employer, Mm -hmm. you probably have a homeowner's insurance plan. And it's the homeowner's insurance plan that's meant to respond to uh, the kind of losses that we're seeing on the news. Not only that, you have commercial properties that have a commercial general liability policy as well. And so These insurance policies have also their ins and outs. They're very different than what you would see typically in a disability policy, but are also meant to be a peace of mind policy. They are there to respond to claims that you make in terms of damages or losses that you have. your home or your property the typical ones we would see john are fire losses or water losses less so i think in ontario we would see um, hurricane type uh, devastation right Uh, but you know one of the things that i will uh, get on my soapbox a little bit about in ontario and we've seen this in other parts of the country as well is floods we have a lot of flooding we have a lot of rain we have a lot of natural disasters so if you're looking at your property policy and you're thinking hey am i going to be covered for this make sure that you get a special endorsement. You have to get an extra rider in Ontario actually to cover you with certain types of water losses. And you'd be amazed how much case law is out there on these disputes, because of course, as insurance companies like to do, they will try and limit what they have to pay out under these policies. And property laws claims are, are, are different in the sense that legally speaking, they're different. But the concept of how insurance companies approach these kinds of claims is very similar to what we talk about in and out of the three the show. So if you're thinking about, look, do I have property coverage? You know, what do I do if if I've got a dispute with my insurance company? Eh, Don't hesitate to give me a call. (laughs) It's kind of dusting off my brain, but this is the kind (sighs) of stuff that I used to start out doing. And so, look, I mean, I think that uh, in, in a context like that, at the end of the day, you want to make sure you understand your policy. And that concept exists, whether it's disability or property losses, John, you want to have that policy, you want to have the wording. And if the insurance company is saying no, you want to have the right insurance lawyer to look at it and say, ah, they're right. Oh, they're not right. And a lot of the times there are ways around these words, but you of course need a sophisticated insurance lawyer to help you through them. And that's what we're here for.
0: Again, tomorrow to reach out any time beyond this, uh, this radio show, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. What else you got going on?
1: Well, you know, our friends might be missing my pal James. You know, he and I usually do this show on Saturdays together. Um, but I can tell you, James and I talk a lot. And we've nope. actually been chatting about a, a file or a claim, a potential claim this week that I thought I'd... You know, throw out there, uh, you know, with with some hugs that 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 I miss our fair James, maybe we'll back together next week. But in any event, um, this woman's situation was really interesting. She has a very rare condition that was ultimately diagnosed. And the key symptom really is disabling headaches. And so I'm not going to get too much into the medical details, but certainly she had symptoms that were preventing her from doing the occupation that she was doing at the time that she became sick. And for a little while, the doctors didn't really know what was happening with her. And in her situation, she was approved for short term disability benefits for a little while and then felt well enough to actually go back to work. She struggled, ended up going back to work, and then unfortunately got terminated. We have a whole other show for terminations, guys, so please don't hesitate to to access those. But for purposes of today, here's why I'm starting out the show talking about her situation. She actually was off for a while after her termination, returned to another employer, John, and then went off again all related to the same disability. So this is intriguing. Not many people find themselves in this situation um, where they may start out with one employer and end up working for another employer. But what may be reminiscent is the fact that you've still got this ongoing health issue that's preventing you from putting together function that's consistent for you to work. And this is really where the disability insurer is supposed to step in. So her benefits were not continued, She had some resistance from her employer to go back on on the short-term claim because they pay the short-term claim, John. And they thought, okay, we're going to wash our hands of her and we're just going to terminate. And there's a whole host of issues around the termination. But what happens with the disability claim? And this is what James and I were chatting about. And if you're within a certain window, there is a possibility, depending on the policy wording, to access the recurrence clauses contained in your disability policy. So even though she may have gone and returned back to work to a different employer, depending on what the clause says in the policy of the original employer, the original claim, she may be able to go back to that insurer for further benefits, even though she's no longer working there and there's been a period of time where she hasn't been covered by them. So goes back to what I was saying at the top of the show. You've got to look at the policy. Please give us an opportunity to weigh in. And this is what we're doing with her situation because if there's a way forward that we can challenge the insurer who potentially may say no, then we'd like to assist her in doing that. I think in a situation like hers, the first step is actually to supply that insurer, the original one, with documentation, medical records saying, look, my health issues never really went away. I returned back to work, but I was struggling. You covered me for a period of time. I'm probably now into the long-term disability portion of the policy as well, by the way. And so here's my application material. What say you insurance right. company? And so really that's the key here is that if you can access your benefits and your plan Even if you've gone to a different employer, you should absolutely do so. And if you're getting some resistance or perhaps even just wondering, what do I do in a situation like this? What is my path forward? This is what we're here for. And we will put our heads together, John. You know, if one of us, you know, is not sure, we will check in with the rest of the team. Um, That's the beauty of the way that we're set up at our firm is that, yes, we deal with our clients individually, but we can all put our heads together on finding a good way to help people when they're struggling with their health and getting challenged by the disability insurer as to what to do with their claim.
0: And to your point, uh, previously, tomorrow, also the other side of the hall, you guys, and I know you personally handle employment law matters as well. So there's a lot of crossover yeah. between the two disciplines. You are in fine hands with Mark, and for sure. I want to get into our uh, first email here before we get into break. Oh, and you mentioned James Farman, our good pal James, who's normally on the show, is off because he's celebrating his birthday today. Aww. So we uh, tip of the hat and raise the glass to, uh, to our good pal James. He'll be back next week. I'm sure he's out uh, whining and dining, Love it. I would imagine, on a lovely Saturday. Uh, Dwayne, your first up, pal. Appreciate your time. Says, hey, tomorrow. I've worked for over 30 years at the same company in a management role. Because of my health, I had to go off work and apply for LTD benefits. I was two years from retirement. My position pays base salary plus a percentage of my company's profits. My LTD benefit only covers my base salary. Isn't much. Is there anything more I should be looking at?
1: Oh, good question, Dwayne. Mm-hmm. So, Look, I mean, I think that what people need to understand is when you've got a salary like Dwayne's, where it's a base amount plus some measure of commissions, and when the base amount is relatively low, you want to make sure you understand what are you covered for? Because most disability policies are set up with your employer. So your employer will remit you know, uh, salary levels across the board for all employees who might be under that one group, and then premiums get rated on that basis. And either you or your employer will remit the premium for the benefit. And when you need to access the benefit, you're only covered for a certain amount. So the finger pointing in a situation like Dwayne's, if there's a gap, if he wasn't insured sufficiently, actually goes back to his employer. So, you know, the the challenge I find is that the insurance policies will say, we will take the lesser of. There's one insurer in particular who has this language very clearly saying, we're going to take the lesser of. What were your insured for or what your employer reported to us that you earned before your disability benefits started or were supposed to start? And of course, in a situation like Dwayne, if you think about it, if he was struggling with his health for a period of time, John, and perhaps wasn't earning as much because he wasn't working as much on the commission side of things, he could really be in a tough bind that he's not going to be sufficiently covered when he's actually trying to access his long-term disability benefits. So look, Why don't we do this? I want to touch on a couple more points on Dwayne's situation. Let's do it after our our first break.
0: You bet. And in the meantime, if you uh, you see fit, you can give us a call right here now on air and talk to us with your matter or something else that piques your interest, maybe for a friend or family member. Bring it on. We're here to help. 416-872-1010 to call into the show now or text us your questions at 71010 as well. And we'll continue. This is a disability law show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. To the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. by right, the right, we are back. Thanks for hanging through the break. It is one twenty. John Scholes here, along with Tamar Ogilbian Sanfieri Tamarkin LLP. You want to reach out anytime to Tamar. Get her expert advice. You are in fantastic hands. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. You can also use this website. It's constructed to be very simple and navigate and easy to understand when it comes to notes and memos, information about LTD. LTD FAQ.ca or .com. They both work. LTD FAQ.ca. want to get to uh, our first phone call in the uh, the afternoon here in just a sec. But first, I want to just finish off Dwayne's emails. we got into that Uh Tomorrow, 30 years, same company, you know, right. position base salary plus a little bit of a uh, little extra stuff. They only cover the base salary, the LTD benefits. So uh, what else should uh, Dwayne be looking at?
1: Yeah. I just wanted to finish off with making just a couple more comments mm-hmm. about Dwayne's yeah. situation. One of the things he described to us in his email was he was two years away from retirement. So when he's asking us, look, what else should I be looking at? One of the things to consider is whether or not there's some kind of bridge that's available to that retirement point through the employer, like a pension amount. And so some individuals, like teachers, for example, will get into a ratio or some kind of number factor that allows them to retire potentially earlier than a certain age, like a 65, um, and access a pension amount. One of the things, though, to consider is whether or not your LTD benefits then will end if you quote unquote retire. So I encourage Dwayne to consider that option, but also be mindful of the fact that it could be an either or scenario. So if you prefer, if financially it makes more sense to continue the long term disability benefit, he may want to continue on that path first, complete that out and then access a pension and by no means am I suggesting that he should access a reduced pension either, John. So, but that is one avenue. And then the other quick one that I wanted to touch on was, of course, CPP disability, because CPP disability can be accessed at any point before you turn sixty-five if you've got a disability that's severe and prolonged. And so, if the doctor is supporting that Dwayne is totally disabled and not able to work, and if that total disability is expected to persist for the foreseeable future and a return to work is unlikely in any setting, then I would encourage Duane to also consider accessing CPP disability uh, as an amount. But as we all know, of course, uh, disability insurer may get a credit for that. So he may not be any further ahead depending on how the numbers shake out.
0: Dwayne, appreciate that. If you want to carry on with a phone call, you probably got that number already, but just in case, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. But I always, uh, here and now, we encourage you to call into the show and talk to Tamar, get some information, 416-872-1010, text 71010. Wanted to get to Hamwell uh, here, who's been uh, standing by patiently for a, for a moment. Hamwell, how are you? What's your question? Good,
2: good. how are you doing, guys? Good, sir. What's going Hi. on? Uh, thank you for uh, helping everyone. And uh, yeah, yeah, So uh, I have a good friend uh, and uh, just uh, he got, uh, he he started the uh, chemotherapy treatment. Yes. And uh, now from the company, he was trying to work, but he couldn't handle it. So he said, I can work. Uh, So they are giving him a short term disability with the eye. Okay. And after that, he doesn't know what to do. And this treatment has to go about two years. Right. And yes. he doesn't know what he's going to do after that.
1: So, Hamwell, do you know if your friend also has long-term disability benefits through his employer? That's where I would go.
2: So, uh, Yeah, so if they have it, I don't know. He has to ask that, okay?
1: That, that's right. So, typically, some employers won't necessarily have short-term disability benefits. What they might do is simply say, you've got to go and make an EI sickness application, which it sounds like that's what your friend's employer has suggested for him to do. So that's a government sponsored plan for those who might be listening. And it is available, I believe for 15 weeks for a partial compensation, almost like an income, but it's set out for individuals who have um, an inability to work as a result of their health. Now. Normally, after that period of time, then the long-term disability period should kick in. Usually, it lines up. And what I don't want your friend to miss out on is the time frame in which to make that application come well. So, he should absolutely inquire with his employer, do you guys have long-term disability benefits? If you do, can I get the forms? make that application and submit it because absolutely I've had clients who've gone through chemotherapy and a lot of the times that's not the end of the line with treatment like that and you can have ongoing symptoms that can prevent you from working not just the treatment itself but you've got neuropathy which is tingling in the hands and feet you could have brain fog fatigue a whole host of other issues and really be under some you know careful treatment under their, the the doctor's care usually an oncologist as well as a family doctor. Thank
2: you. Okay. So uh, that's good then. Uh, uh, once he knows he, uh, that the date is very important, as you said, and he has to make sure to kick into the long-term disability. And Absolutely. the long-term disability, does that that, that it stay a year, a year and a half, or how long does it go?
1: Really good follow-up yep. question on that. Yeah. So normally most long-term disability policies are available until you turn 65 the the one thing we note on the show though is that for the first 2 years under most plans the test to qualify is is your health preventing you from doing the job that you were doing when you got sick after that 2 year time frame then the test changes and it arguably becomes a little tougher to meet and it says in order to access more benefits you have to demonstrate that your health prevents you from doing any occupation anything in the world for which you've got the basic education training and experience And honestly, Hamal, that's usually where we see most disability insurers trying to cut off those claims because they don't want you to access from year two to age 65, right? That's the bulk Uh of, of the benefit. Yeah. So we talk a lot about that on our show. But I think first and foremost for your friend is to make sure that that application goes in. If he's got any challenges with a disability insurer whatsoever, not only do we have lots of resources, but we're also just a phone call away and we can help guide him all for free, free consults.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, can you please, again, repeat your uh, website so that uh, we can have it? Thank you.
1: There
0: we go. I again? am giving it to you right now, brother. And here's, uh, here's the website. You want to go to disabilityrights.ca, disabilityrights.ca. And well, if you put a help at in front of that, you get an email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. And then uh, the phone number, one eight five five eight. Just that simple. Thanks for uh, taking the time today, pal. Really appreciate you uh, so much. Thanks for calling so into the Thanks. show. Yeah, man. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, you can join as well. Still got uh, plenty of time. How did Hamwell uh, do it? Easy. 416 872 1010. You can text. That is also an option. Open to you 71010 as well. You know, tomorrow, when you start an LTD claim, it just kind of peaked my head. Just kind of give me something uh, based on what Hamwell uh, was asking there. Right. When you start that LTD claim, how much, um, much involvement is required from the client as the case moves? along because I know that's one of the uh, I won't even say fringe benefit. It's a main benefit it is. is the fact that the phone calls and the you know harassment if I want to go that far from possibly your adjuster stops once you guys get involved, right?
1: Absolutely. so yeah. you know as as little as the client uh, needs, I suppose from us and I, and I really, do see it as a partnership with our clients, John, at least from my perspective, that what we're doing is we are helping. We are there to help, not to hinder. And I think that by the time most people come to us, they're pretty, pretty tired, pretty tired of dealing with phone calls and paperwork and, you know, all the follow ups and this sort of thing. So we try and alleviate all of that. What we want our clients to do is really just focus on their health, focus on their recovery. We will take care of absolutely the rest. And, you know, we have a really good degree of success in settling most of our claims with these disability insurers at a mediation. And that happens, you know, typically within months of us getting retained. And so usually we'll have a lot of front end paperwork. In other words, just the retainer in that. And then we will get the medical information. We will reach out to our clients if we need something more from them. And then we will prepare the case to position it in the best possible way to extricate as many dollars from the insurance company as we can when we get to that mediation phase. No court, no judge, you know, no protracted legal issues, you know, very straightforward approach. And we do that intentionally so that our, again, like I said, our clients can focus on themselves and really make the insurance company my problem. I welcome that problem, John. I know how to deal with them and, and I enjoy it and I enjoy the process. And I, you know, it's very gratifying when at the end, you know, I, I just got an email this week, I resolved something for a client. He sent me a lovely note saying, Tamar, you're a warrior." He actually described me uh-huh. as a warrior, <laughs> and I said, "Wow, I've never been called a warrior. I, I think it was a compliment." So look, I get I get a lot of joy out of it. But at the end of the day, the the conclusion is is that we were able to move that needle for the, with the disability insurer and get him the compensation that he was entitled to
0: asha is up next as far as emails are concerned but we'll take a short break before we get to that and give you some time to arm yourself with a phone call you can call into the show when we'd love to talk to you with our remaining time you got lots of it again 416-872-1010 or 710 to throw a text our way and that email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. we'll continue here with the disability law show this is the bell talk radio network Welcome back to the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. That is correct. It is 135. Welcome back to the Disability Law Show here on the Bell Talk Radio Network to uh, send along or at least bring on a phone call. Would love to talk to you anytime. It is always uh, it's always great, 416 872 1010 is the way you want to do that Four one six eight seven two ten ten. or if you want to reach out by text that is 71010 as well but uh, get us some more emails here very shortly uh, tomorrow but we always get to our phone calls first Angie, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to reach out to us Angie, good afternoon, what's your question? Hi Hi, so
3: I recently was terminated from my employer uh, been there 20 plus years and um, I was off sick and they terminated me, and uh, they felt that uh, I didn't come back to work because they had implemented a policy regarding the booster, and it was mandated. But they required uh, X amount of documentation from my doctor, which I provided, And they kept wanting it revised, and it kept getting revised, and they still came to the conclusion that they were suspicious that I didn't come to work because I didn't want a booster, which I had um, vaccine number one and vaccine number two, and they thought I didn't want to come back to work because of a booster. And, yes, I have a union, but they have done nothing for me. They just terminated me, and I've been without a job and been up sick for a month now. And every time I call a lawyer, they tell me I have a union and they have to help me, but it seems like nothing's happening.
1: Yeah, that's the unfortunate part of that. So on the employment side of things, Angie, unfortunately, with unions, you sort of have to take the good and the bad, and the downside is is that if the union is not supporting the effort to deal with your wrongful termination, you've got to try and push that envelope as much as possible, because a lawyer has no standing to assist you on the employment side. That's the really, really tough part on the unionized piece of it. On the disability side, though, did you make any sort of short-term or long-term decisions disability claim through your employer.
3: So I, I requested my long-term disability papers because I knew that the illness was gonna um, continue on like, uh, and they told me that I, I can't get it because they're terminating me.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's quite right. Um, I I mean, so here's the thing. The way that it normally works is that if the disability began while you had coverage or potentially through the notice period. So when people get terminated, they have a period of time under the law that they have a protected amount of period of time where they get compensation. And in Ontario, you're supposed to get your benefits continued through that period of time. And so depending on the nature of your termination, you would have had benefits continue for that that window, Of that window is and and you're a long service so i suspect it's a fairly long window and if your disability started in that window while you had coverage then that's the wrong advice then you have actually coverage in that period of time and can still assert a disability claim if you're not out of time to do that so here's what i would suggest i, I i'm not sure i've got the chronology quite right but the the paperwork that you need is actually available on the internet as well. So if you know who the insurer is and you know the policy number, you can submit your forms to the insurance company directly for short term or long term, depending on what you're covered for. And you can ensure that what the doctor puts in as the start of the disability date was during the period of time while you were still employed and still had coverage with the disability insurer. Because the insurer cannot deny on that basis if, the, if it crystallized at the time that you still had coverage. Does that make sense? Sure. Good. And then I would start there, at least from a disability perspective, and then you know prepare yourself as to what the insurance company may say um, and whether or not the the entitlement to that benefit is also tied to your employment because this is the other part of unionized individuals we talk about this a little bit on the show which is some unionized individuals are in a bucket that i call it where they too cannot hire a lawyer to assist them with their disability claim it's a small bucket though And so for most unionized individuals, if they are denied disability benefits, we can assist. But what the starting point would be in our analysis is at the very least to take a look at your collective bargaining agreement and make sure there's nothing in there that says that that door is closed potentially. It doesn't take us very long to do it, but I wanted to put that on your radar as well, Angie, is that this is the challenge with unionized individuals. Most we can assist with disability, but there's a few that we cannot.
3: Can I do um, a human rights tribunal claim?
1: Again, I'm going to defer that to my employment, uh, employment friends on an employment show. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I would encourage you to contact the tribunal to see whether or not you can assert a claim like that in your circumstances. They, too, will provide some good advice. Um, and again, just because the fact that you're unionized, I think that makes it a little bit tough for us uh, you know, to even provide any solid advice on what to do in your situation. Okay.
0: And appreciate the call Angie. got to let you go and move on to uh, some different matters. But if you want to carry on a further conversation or any other questions, Angie, you can do so. one 821 5900 Want to get to Ash's email here uh, tomorrow. Again, reaching yeah. an email to us is simple as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca it says, hey, tomorrow, my disability insurer accepted my claim for another three months, which was stated in a letter that I got. But at the end of the month. I didn't receive my benefit payment. Can they stop my payments without notification?
1: Well, they shouldn't, John. Yeah, right. <laughs> they yeah. shouldn't, Asha. Uh, they absolutely should not be stopping it without some kind of notification. Uh, and look, it it could just be a glitch, could just be a, a human error. Somebody just didn't release that benefit. And so, you know, before I would get too hot and bothered, I would absolutely put in a call uh, and maybe perhaps even an email to my adjuster to say, hey, you know, I didn't I received this letter I was supposed to get benefits for 3 months. I usually get it on X date. It's now been so many days after that date and I have not yet received my benefits. Can someone let me know what's going on? Because they shouldn't be leaving you in the dark. I think what's concerning me a little bit more, though, with Asha's situation is why did they only approve it for three months, John? So Mm. is it we're approving it for three months and then we're closing the claim? Is it we're approving it for three months and then we're going to reevaluate? I think I want to put some eyes on that decline letter or letter, whatever was communicated to her about the acceptance of her disability claim and why it's in that window. Because, John, some disability insurers or adjusters, that is, they'll sort of take a slow and steady approach. They may look initially at your claim and say, okay, look, we think this might last for three months, so we're going to approve it for this window, and then, you know, reevaluate whether or not someone continues to meet the test disability. And the adjusters use different tools to do that. One of the things they like to access is almost like a Google (laughs) WebMD type, uh, you know, profile where... They will put in, you know, something like depression and it will come up with, oh, most people with depression should with treatment, you know, be resolved in 60 to 90 days. And they're box checkers this way. So they'll they'll target your disability claim within these, you know, general guidelines, trying not to really get into the specifics of your situation and only approve your benefits for a period of time. And that, of course, only serves the insurance company. So you want to understand some clarity around what are they doing with your claim? And if the benefits do stop, they absolutely have to explain to you why, so that you know what are your choices, what are your options, and you can get the right advice and and take the right step forward. Could it be because, you know, you're at the end of the line for a particular benefit coverage, not even really sure what it could be. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting clear communication, you should insist upon that communication so that you know where to go moving forward with your disability claim.
0: Again, always reaching out to you guys is is key with that sort of stuff. Ash, appreciate your uh, appreciate your time. When you start a legal claim, how often does your view of the case change as the case goes along for you? Tomorrow, if it does change, what types of things would impact that change?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I think generally speaking, you know, my view doesn't change a whole lot. You know, I try and take some care, as does our team, you know, early on to do a full assessment of, of people who come to us for advice. We try and get as many documents as we can that are relevant like the decline letter, let's say, some recent medical reports. And we have a lot of conversations with individuals to say, okay, look, in a situation like this, this is where we see the path, you know, going forward. We think we can assist. This is what's gonna look like. These may be the issues and here's what we think we can do with it. And so, you know, Typically, if, you know, we're, we're there working with individuals, it usually means that, you know, we've, we're have we in it and we think that there's value to the claim. But, you know, you ask me, you know, what could change that perspective? And, you know, we do ask for additional information along the way. Perhaps someone has, you know, d- done a great recovery while they're working with us and has attempted a return to work. That yeah. could certainly change the picture. Um, but maybe we should talk a little bit more about this, John, uh, after our next break. What do you think? Yeah,
0: it's going to take, uh, it's going to have to drill down a little deeper on that one so we'll do that and try to get another email or two and give you another moment to uh, grab a phone like we've had previous callers on air and join us ask a question 416-872-1010 or the text way is uh, just as good 71010 to do that and we'll continue with the disability law show this is the bell talk radio networking Welcome back to the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. Minutes ago, it is 150. Welcome back to it. Indeed. Appreciate you uh if you've managed to uh, email uh, some questions or called into the show today. Appreciate your time on a Saturday. We know everyone's busy, but you're always learning something here. Tamara Gopian, partner Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. You can reach out to Tamara. Always got a great team, whether just a chat, that's no problem. 1855 821 5900 for all that matters. You can make that phone call or email help at disabilityrights.ca. But we were talking about you know, legal claims and things change as they go along, depending, I guess, the length of the claim and what's going on with you, uh, Tamar, and your, uh, right. and your team. What other things can change or impact that change? What do you think?
1: So one of the things that we do routinely after we get retained, John, is that we will write out to the insurance company almost immediately, yep. putting them on notice, saying, look, we're going to start a legal claim on behalf of, you know, Jane Doe. And we want your entire claim swap. I want every stitch of documents relating to documentation relating to my client and I comb through that documentation. I want to know what the insurance company has in their file that has justified cutting off my client's claim. And I, sometimes I find real good nuggets in <laughs> so it. It can change, it can change my perspective. In other words, it can embolden me that there's a good basis to challenge the disability insurer. Uh, and so, you know, very often that exercise can be very helpful and a good exercise to do. And I can tell you, not all disability lawyers do it, John. <laughs> And so, you know, I think we, we're, we're really at the high bar in my mind and uh, there's a reason we do it this way. And I think that for that exact reason is that if there are components in there that can assist the claim, you know, we want to know that early on and we will, of course, share that information with our clients. So, you know, could it be that I find something in there that's not helpful? It's rare, but it has happened maybe once or twice. Uh, but even then, it allows me, typically it's medical information that I wasn't aware of. And it then allows me to have a good discussion with my client and potentially their medical team to clarify certain you know, information that's contained in the medical information and therefore assist and present the claim in a better way so that I can ensure that my client is getting the right compensation that they deserve.
0: LaToya, thank you so much for taking the time. I want to get LaToya's email since tomorrow. My brother has long COVID. He goes to a clinic that specializes in helping patients like him suffering from long COVID. The clinic was telling him that their patients are having a hard time getting approved for LTD benefits or CPP disability based on the long COVID diagnosis. I'm wondering what kind of information is the insurance company looking for? Any information you could provide would be so greatly appreciated.
1: Great, great email, Latoya. I'm so glad you reached out. So, yeah, long COVID is still a thing. I know that we're not talking as much about COVID, are we? I don't know. But, you know, I think that it is important that we continue to recognize that there are individuals who are getting contracted with COVID and who are developing what's considered a long COVID diagnosis. And what does that usually consist of? Well, it's different from individual to individual, John, and it is not a well-known uh, sort of diagnosis because it's relatively new. Uh, what we do know is that a lot of long COVID patients have symptoms together that amount to an inability to work or an inability to function in at a reasonable, quote unquote, normal level. So things like fatigue, ongoing cough, cognitive lag, uh, sometimes unusual mobility uh, issues. You know, there's a whole host of things that that are being captured by this long COVID diagnosis. And of course, the treatment for symptoms like this varies from from patient to patient, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, and of course, it's not something that you can see on a scan, right? So you are going to self-report as a long COVID patient to your medical team, hey, these are the issues that I'm having. And so... It then becomes a bit of a challenge as to what do you present by way of medical information to get access to disability benefits. It's a challenge only because it's just not as straightforward as a broken arm, right? I hate to say it, but but that's the reality of it. And so what can you do in a situation like this? Really, I would say, have the doctors focus on those symptoms. The, the disability insurer likes to tell us all the time, well, it's all about function. You know, you've got a diagnosis. It may not matter. What we're really looking for is can you function on different platforms, including enough so that you work? Well, okay, insurance company, if that's the case, here are the five things that I'm suffering from and have been for nine months. Uh, and I can tell you that because of this, I cannot work and my doctor is recommending that I cannot work on this basis. If that is the case, then by all means you should be approved for disability benefits. The test for the initial phase, John, is are you totally disabled from doing your the essential duties of your own occupation? And totally disabled doesn't mean you're in bed every single day. It means that you cannot put together the sufficient function to do the main stuff that you're required to do in your workplace and your work setting. And so I generally find when there are disabilities that are very self-reported, in other words, issues like mental health conditions or cognitive issues that are not clearly seen in in a medical scan of some kind, then those reporting of those symptoms and the consistency of reporting those symptoms by the patient or the claimant and their medical team creates the appropriate amount of leverage and medical information to move that needle with the disability insurer. And I would say similarly with CPP, I think CPP disability sometimes can be a little bit tougher only because they've got a criteria in there that's not only a severity, so severe symptoms, but also prolonged. And, you know, does long COVID at least where it exists today, is that sufficiently prolonged, quote unquote, for the government to recognize that you're entitled to CPP disability. I mean, I think that there's an element of it for sure. Uh, But, you know, is there a bright line test that once you hit, you know, the two year mark that you absolutely will get CPP disability? Not necessarily. And bear in mind that they are not a private insurer. This is the federal government who's assessing that criteria and trying to determine whether you would qualify for CPP disability. The the last thing I'll add with uh, Latoya's uh, email is that my understanding is actually the government has also a separate sponsored government support plan for income benefits and uh, like a pain and suffering type compensation for individuals who've got long COVID situations, and an adverse reaction to the vaccine. So take a look and see what those resources are because, you know, individuals like Latoya's brother potentially can access long-term disability benefits, CPP disability, and other government-sponsored resources that may be more readily available to him than perhaps the traditional routes we talk about on the show. Do you think they
0: relaxed restrictions, especially traveling now, you know, with more people mingling? I think that's going to change the legal process at all or disability claims?
1: Good question. I mean, this is one that I I think we're all pondering, Um, you know, certainly from a legal process perspective. Most things are being done virtually and continue to be done virtually. I think if you take mediation, for example, which I talked about earlier in the show, this is a non-binding settlement meeting. We basically all get together and try to hash out a good resolution for our clients in a setting where we don't have a judge or a court or any of that. It's a private setting. And if you think about a situation like that, I I don't see mediations going back to in-person necessarily. I think even though the the, the courts and the rules have said that the the standard should be back to in-person... I think most insurers would prefer to continue doing it virtually. It's because it's cheaper, John. <laughs> at the end of the day, they're a profit-making entity. And if they can yeah. save some bucks in terms of travel and the cost of a room and a mediator and these other things, they're they're absolutely going to take that route. So the cheaper is better. And, I, and so at least from a mediation perspective, I expect it will continue virtually.
0: And you guys are liking that because it kind of moves the uh, moves things along and gets more satisfaction 100%. with your clients. So it's uh, it's quicker. good in that regard. Yeah, quicker, exactly. And we are done. We're quick as well. So there you go. You'll want to reach out Another we are complete for this Saturday. Here's how you reach Tamar and her team, help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we've been reading from that and one 855 821 And for any other questions, you may find those answers quickly at ltdfaq.ca. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.